hello, 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 folks, and thank you for tuning into the Strange Tonic Podcast. I apologize that this third episode is taking so long to post. I meant to post it last Monday, a week ago, but after waking to the horrible, just I, I, unspeakable events, the tragedy that unfolded last Sunday night, or a week ago from Sunday night, in Las Vegas, I felt it was better to withhold and restart, and probably wasn't bad because I was not super help- happy with uh, the intros I had recorded so far. It was this is it's not that this is a tough conversation; it's just hard to explain. Uh, Michelle and I, you know, we're we're two middle class white kids who. Both went to college at the same school, worked at the same place for a while, did the same intern at the same place. Uh, and by the way, that is my dog chewing on a squeaky toy. I'm sorry if that annoys you, but I'm uh, not going to kick him out right now. So if uh, our conversation about race ruffles any feathers or makes you think, why the hell are you two talking about this? Our whole point is just to kind of hopefully get other people to... Maybe think about it a little bit more. Uh, read some stuff we've read. Hell, why not send us an email with some stuff that you think we should read uh, at feedback at thestrangetonic.com. And from there, we uh, kind of spiral off into a random conversation about the horribleness of uh, Rush Limbaugh and other things, Florida, Ted Cruz, other fun stuff like that. As always, uh, we our music is provided by the band Pan Astral, based out of Denver, and I keep seeing on Facebook and on Instagram that they've been in the studio working on new stuff. So as soon as that drops, I'll uh, I'll I'll update you. I'll drop it on here, and we'll. Uh, do our best to keep you updated with their newest shows. So again, as always, thank you, Pan Astral. Thank you, Michelle, for chatting with me. And, of course, thank you all for listening to me. I hope you're doing great, and I hope you have a great week. So I just, I just thought we'd go with the flow on that one. <laughs> yeah, who knew we would talk about Kid Rock this much ever? That's right. right. Yeah. So, yeah. with that said, good evening, everyone. It's, it's the evening for us. I don't know what time it is for you. We record Thursday evenings typically. Uh, this is the Strange Tonic Podcast with myself, Noel, and Michelle. Hello. Say hello, Michelle. Hello, hello. <laughs> So, Michelle and I kind of, we, we, we talk about doing an outline, but I usually forget to do it. And this, this week was uh, no different. Mm-hmm. So, based on what we talked about before, let's go ahead and just, uh, this is a very bad segue here, go from talking <laughs> about, because um, <clears throat> what I liked about that Tanahashi Coates P- 
piece is it's I think people don't a lot of people I should say like who are friends of mine family members even I don't think they quite understand <clears throat> that like, to the, the depths of which white supremacy exists and what it actually is mm-hmm. I think there's this thought that <clears throat> just because you know that you know if I'm I don't I don't try to actively keep black people down and you know I don't support the clan I don't support the alt right and if I do all these things <clears throat> therefore I'm doing everything the right way and I'm not a racist I, and I have like I'm not contributing any way to white supremacy but then you know how many people do you see? I, mean, I I can tell you this on my Facebook feed whenever there's like a not even a riot, but some sort of, like, large protest that's mainly black people responding to usually violence by police. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see it as much anymore because I think I've started blocking most of them on Facebook, but uh, mm-hmm. there'd be a proliferation of people posting that meme, which was, you know, a picture of Martin Luther King, like, I think marching calmly somewhere and saying... I respect this kind of protest. And then you know, having a picture of a black guy breaking a window, like a 7 window, saying mm-hmm. not this. Yeah. And, or like <laughs> a meme of Martin Luther King, you know, saying something that's, you know, very peaceful and meant to unite. Yeah. It's like, do you not, do you not get that that's kind of bad? <laughs> You're saying, yeah. come on, black people, this is how you should act. Right. It's still, it's still a white person most likely, mm-hmm. trying to <laughs> tell somebody how to identify themselves and how to respond to the world around them when they get treated differently than the white person who's calling them out for it in the first place. And before we really dive into the, the Coates piece, um, I did, I listened to the entire thing, the audio book of uh, Colony and a Nation, oh, the wow, that, book you recommended. That was fast. Yeah, I had a work from home day, so oh, nice. I just... I just hit play and let it roll, and I listened to it all in one day. So um, for anybody out there, it's a it's a pretty interesting piece, and I think Hayes does a good job. And um, one of the things he talks about was uh, being a reporter on the ground in Ferguson after uh, the death of Michael Brown, and then later on with the grand jury acquittal. Is that the right word for it? Um, was he even know, a grand jury? That, I thought it, they just declined to bring charges. He, he did go oh, to Baltimore. Okay. I, where there yeah, and he went to Baltimore. That's right. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of conflating things then, but um, but him him kind of talking or going over uh, some people he spoke with, but also just uh, you know a brief discussion of pieces of, of uh, cell phone video he saw where people are standing in their own front yard and mm-hmm. the police is walking down the street. Police officers dressed in full military regalia. Um, telling them to leave and the guy in his front yard saying, this is my land, this is my property. And then he gets, uh, you know, tear gassed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, the guy holding the camera says, you wonder why people say, fuck the police. This is why. And I, I too, uh, have had the, you know, the unfortunate, uh, Facebook experience of seeing people talking about these riots when they have, no, no real context or respect for the people who are experiencing the riot as opposed to just, you know, this like 
moral superiority. Well, I would never burn down my own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like one one series of jokes that came out after the uh, there was the decline to bring charges against anybody for Michael Brown's death. Um, you know, a couple of people on Facebook going back and forth about like, well, if they loot too many TVs, they won't be able to carry their orange soda home. You know, just like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I called them out and deleted them after that because it's just, that's exactly what white supremacy is all about. And I think that's something that, that Coates really tries to, to pull away is that, or, um, you know, kind of highlight with this piece is that you can still, uh, you know, help the proliferation of white supremacy without actually being racist yourself as, as long as you don't call it white supremacy or as long as you don't call it racism. That's exactly how it's, um, remained a staple in our national identity and our politics, very unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess I didn't get to that part because I, the part that I, I took away so far from reading the Coates piece was mm-hmm. really that <clears throat> this kind of insistence that things must remain the same and must remain comfortable for mm-hmm. us white people. And mm-hmm. that is a, you know, a stricture. That is a demand that will, you know, we will not break. And, you know, from there, we'll, you know, black people, we say, can, can flourish if they just live up to whatever it is, you know, phony idealism that we white people have and that they can fit into. But that's not only just misguided, it's kind of, well, apart from being really selfish, it's just really mean to say that mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like what got Trump elected is this idealized past, which never was really a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I've talked to someone before that was kind of talking about, well, you know, this guy was, he's in his 70s, so he's, he's, a, he's a little older. Mm-hmm. He's saying, well, as a kid, I don't really remember, you know, the kid in the 50s, I don't really remember you know, racism being an issue. It wasn't until like you know, kind of a equal rights movement and everything in the late in the '60s when he thought that you know you saw more racism in the country. And it was like, but he didn't. He said that with no sense of irony. He yeah. was almost blaming black people and you know Lyndon mm-hmm. Johnson for racism as opposed to you know the, un, the forces that had kind of kept any mm-hmm. discussion of it sort of out of the you know, national media landscape for a while. Right. It's like, oh, let's sign the Civil Rights Act bill of 1964 and racism is over. Why are people still rioting? You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, that's kind of a, a, a truly misguided conception of, um, you know, this underlying problem that's been around for several centuries in our country. And um, maybe you got to this part in the Coates piece was... Um, you know, basically with Barack Obama being elected president, the first mm-hmm. black president, um, you know, a black man can work twice as hard as anybody and he can he has no no limitations. But then you get someone like Trump who can work half as, uh, you know, half as hard as anybody and go even farther. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it still is. It is. It's. Uh, it's obviously it's not in the. And not to, I'm not trying to say anything bad about this particular author. I, I think he's a good writer. But mm-hmm. there's a, uh, Matt Taibbi, who's a columnist for Rolling Stone, 
wrote something and we was talking about because Kurt Schilling is planning well is apparently planning on trying to speaking of uh, people who have no business running for the Senate he's apparently going to try and run a, a Senate campaign to unseat Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts and Taibbi's piece is kind of about how Kurt Schilling is yet to know, he's kind of Donald Trump 2.0 mm-hmm. where he has a little more talent as far as you know he he didn't inherit his money, but the thing that, you know, made him his money is the getting he was gifted which, with, which is the, you know, his right arm. He was a very, at times, great Major League Baseball player who is mad that he's kept out of the Hall of Fame, which he blames on his politics. But anyways, um, <laughs> he just talks about that, how the new, you know, what Trump has awoken in this country is something that's always existed, but now it's... And actually, this ties into Coates as well, where he was talking about how at least other presidents may have at least pretended to not to, – they actually did stuff and they actually earned their place in society mm-hmm. and pretended to be decent people, as where you know, Trump makes no qualms about it. So you know, we're seeing this thing where white men are constantly failing up. Yeah. And <laughs> – you have a guy that has proven himself basically to be a well, and this goes for both of them, a horrible businessman in both Trump and Schilling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and one of them is the you know to use the cliche is the leader of the free world. Yeah. Um. Yeah, <laughs> failing <laughs> upwards. <laughs> That was and, that was um, his term, not mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's a pretty good way to put it in a lot of ways. And one of the things that I think Coates does a nice a nice uh, job of kind of pointing out is the hypocrisy that it, it, Trump isn't about whiteness; he's about the working class. Yes, that the working class is who he represents and that's who voted for him, even though the exit polls would, you know, kind of demonstrate maybe a little bit otherwise. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of those polls showed that uh, people who voted for Trump have a much higher uh, annual income than what we considered working class. But it's, it's not the working class because if it was about workers and the working class or people who have low wage jobs or blue collar jobs, you know, however you want to put it together, it, it's the white ones that voted for him. Like that's the demographic group that Mm -hmm. goes beyond economics or other, any other point of identification is that it was white people that voted for him, you know, not black working class, not Latino working class. And I thought he did a good job of pointing out the fact that many on the left now are trying to say, well, we got too deep into quote identity politics and politics, and politics of yeah. race, and so they're saying, "Well, we need to get back to an economic message," which again is kind of this. I don't want to say covert because that sounds more sinister. I think it's more just uh, unconscious acceptance mm-hmm. of white supremacy. Where, well, let's just not talk about it because you know that that's what lost us the race is you know, focusing on racial equality on. You know, gender equality on LGBTQ issues, like right the the elites and the hipsters that make fun of rednecks. Mm-hmm. It's it's their fault that anybody voted for Trump, you know. Which 
is like when when is the snake actually devouring its tail like how far how far can we go with this this like circular argument that it's about economics not race but it's about the elites who make fun of them and abandon them so they voted for this guy who's racist but they're not racist so it's the elites and you know what i mean like it just keeps going round and round and round and so it's this completely like falsified he calls it the collective verdict Mm -hmm. of the of the election and i would completely agree with that that's one of the most succinct uh you know points that that he's made and you you even see that just in in other literature and books that have come out like hillbilly elegy and you know, there's there's or white trash. I'm I'm reading the book White Trash as well now too. I <laughs> haven't like there's finished. This, I've started it, but yeah, I've, it's, it's, I like it. It's kind of it's good. It's it's a little it's a little dense, but I feel like as a historian, if there was if it wasn't as dense as it is, is, I would be like, yeah, yeah, I don't know about this argument. But anyways, yeah, it's uh, it, it, this uh, fascination with a white working class that is the quote-unquote real America. And mm-hmm. they don't believe in identity politics, but whiteness is identity politics. Nobody wants to call it that, though. True. What I, I think I'm only two chapters maybe into that book, maybe even just one. But what yeah. I remember kind of thinking about, like when I first, actually it was the audio book when I first started it. Was the, is it two authors or just just one? Like, uh, it's, it's just the one. Okay. Hold on, I forget her name. <clears throat> Uh, Nancy Eisenberg. Okay, so yeah, yeah. where uh, you know, the author kind of just shows how you know, America has kind of been built off the backs of people who came here, wealthy people who came to America looking to exploit the resources, and in order to mm-hmm. exploit the resources, they needed the cheapest labor possible. So that's mm-hmm. why at first it was each new immigrant group was hated even more than the next. So, you know, it, <laughs> that's why people didn't like the Irish or the Germans. It was just, you know, these people are coming here working for less money. Mm-hmm. And then you throw mm-hmm. into it this whole monkey wrench of, here's this, you know, here's a new immigrant group. Well, not immigrant, they're forced mm-hmm. immigrant group who right. looks completely different than us. And they're working for free, even though it's not their choice. Mm-hmm. And it was... Again, Coates brings up in his piece where it's kind of this fear that um, I'm not going to use the word, but that basically they don't want to be on the, on the same station, the same level mm-hmm. as these slaves who they view as subhuman. So mm-hmm. rather than kind of say taking issue with the wealthy aristocracy who are the ones who are exploiting labor. Right, the capitalist system that's mm-hmm. exploiting everybody below it, right? And Continue. So that's where I kind of go, no, identity politics, if it's, identity politics in and of itself shouldn't have an overtly negative connotation. Mm-hmm. It can take that on when, say, a Steve Bannon comes along and wants to make identity politics about white resentment. Mm-hmm. But... Identity politics, at least, you know, <laughs> you bring up the fact that I think it was telling, I talked about this in the first podcast, maybe not. We had a history teacher in high school who said that, you know, the fallacy that America is a melting pot is just that. It's a fallacy because, you know, we don't get tossed into a pot, you know, all melted together. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we still retain kind of, 
for lack of a better term, we, we retain our identity, we ret- retain our appearance usually. So we call mm-hmm. it a pizza. We're all a part of the same thing, but we all look different. We all taste different. We all, you know, we do different things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, you know, at least identifying, <laughs> again, I'm not trying to do this, but I realize <laughs> I am just using that word over and over. At least identifying that we are different and that, you know, as we said with Black Lives Matter, there are certain segments of our pizza that were have not, you know, I guess this is where the pizza uh, metaphor doesn't really work anymore. <laughs> no, keep it rolling. I okay. like it. <laughs> I don't know what to do with it because there are certain members of our pizza that say maybe uh, aren't being, oh, this, this is where it doesn't work, aren't being enjoyed or are maybe being tossed off the pizza. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say, let's, like, take it farther to where, like, the pizza is, like, the half-and-half half pizza. Okay. Like, you stay on your side because you're the lesser flavor. Or, or like, some people are treated as the, the component of the pizza that does get picked off. Mm-hmm. Like, or literally picked off and tossed away. Maybe some slices with certain toppings get extra cheese, as where other ones don't. Oh, yeah. There's an, an uneven distribution of cheese. Yes. Yes. It sort of works, I guess, but... Um, <laughs> it makes it... I almost feel like we're doing, like, a middle school or elementary school level, like, metaphor. But I like it. I, I think it's good. I like our pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it's good because I think... Um, I've got, again, friends and family members who... They're not necessarily... Like, they're eager to hear about why you know what what the issue is with like race and discrimination and stuff like that they don't fancy themselves racist they don't say racist things but at the same time they'll occasionally kind of say something you're like i don't think you get what you just said and (laughs) and believe me like i've been there i'm probably still there Mm -hmm. but you know and i I, i've I've been trying to think about this for like (laughs) because i i don't on Facebook, I just generally mute people, but I don't have a lot of, like, I would say people anymore that post those kind of crazy memes or, as you said, make those awful jokes about, mm-hmm. like, orange soda. What the hell? Mm-hmm. I know. And, it, you know, and, you know, I got a response that was, I think the person who I called out on that was kind of embarrassed and that's completely understandable. And I've, I've never personally had the guts to even call somebody out on Facebook like that before. It's the only time I've ever done it. And the response was, well, sometimes you got to laugh to keep from crying. And my response to that was, well, sometimes you just need to realize what's happening and cry about it. Because this is a disaster. Like, these people and are... are rioting for a reason can Mm -hmm. we not at least take a moment to consider maybe why they're doing it what it is to be like in their shoes in a county that the department of justice demonstrated they financially exploited Mm -hmm. black people for the purpose of filling their coffers yes literally that is literally what they were doing and many surrounding counties in the area around ferguson were doing the same thing you can't if you have dark skin in that city, you were being exploited. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about that? 
if every single time you left the house, oh, I'm going to get pulled over because I'm black. Like, what is that like? Like, why can't we at least consider consider other people's perspective sometimes instead of just generalizing and assuming, well, they're wrong. And to further, like, to your point, and this is you know, kind of also with Hayes here, where, you know, I, I guess I'd thought about it as far as, like, you know, the police state, but I'm going, you know, it's harder to see. I thought about this before reading the Hayes book. It's harder to see because I haven't experienced that. Well, as he does, so I, I actually didn't quite know what the book was going to be about going into it. Okay. Yeah. So as soon as like he reveals his, you know, there's the colony and there's the nation. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is a, this is a brilliant, you know, thing, you know, vehicle to use. It's a really good metaphor. Yes. And yes. So, you know, what would, what would we do as you know, white middle class folk if when the like, if the police felt that their authority was being challenged and decided they had to come out and basically beat uh their authority back into us not maybe literally as far as like physically mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yes you know metaphorically or come come by and you know, tell you to go back in your house for no reason yeah and i mean <laughs> my only experience of this and obviously i'm not trying to in any way say that <laughs> equivocate this to being a black person in America who's faced a police state. But the county I grew up in outside of Denver, the sheriff was fairly well known to, I would say, disproportionately target just teenagers. There weren't very black people. It was just, it was a fairly, I mean, Denver's probably better now, but the area I grew up in was fairly white to begin with. Yeah. I went to a fairly big high school and there was not a lot of black kids at our high school. It is very, uh, you know, like, um, uh, not actually, like, government-sanctioned segregated, but Denver is very segregated, so go ahead. (laughs) Um, And so, like, my only real run-ins with the police there happened when I was in my teenage years where I was driving around, and I remember that it seemed like every, at the end of every month the police would be waiting by our high school and you'd see cars pulled over left and right for speeding. Cause mm-hmm. they put you know, the, the school zone on, even though like it's a high school, so almost everyone's driving home or taking the bus. And there was one point where I think it was just a group of students. I, I remember I used to, at the time I thought maybe it was uh, student newspaper reporters, mm-hmm. but they were just going across the street when people had been pulled over to see, how old they were and what they were pulled over for. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it was, oh, you know, these are our fellow students or teenagers, like maybe you know, college students that were home or something like that. And at one point, we were talking with one gal when the police had actually told her, like, was a, or technically the county sheriff's deputies, had told her to buzz off that she was interfering with police business. So, and, and you know, I remember just thinking at the time, the only reason they're doing this is because You'd almost always get, like, asked. I remember I got home one night at, like, 2 in the morning. I was 19 at the time. And a mm-hmm. cop pulls up to the curb as I'm getting in the driveway and says, how old are you? I'm like, you can't ask. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm on my property. I just went inside and <laughs> thinking he was going to, you know, knock on the door and get an earful from my dad, which he didn't do. But it was just that. It was they would bug teenagers because what recourse do teenagers have? Right. And, you know, the parents are always going to go, well, let's, let's side with law enforcement here because maybe the kids just aren't acting right. 
and that pissed me off. So I couldn't imagine if that continued into adulthood because it certainly hasn't for me. Right. And, you know, it's, you know, I live in my nice little, uh, I don't even live in a super nice area, but mm-hmm. I can't recall the last time that I actually interacted with a police officer on official police business. It, it, it was back in Colorado sometime. It was probably close to 10 years ago. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like that either. I know I, you know, I've, as a woman, I've certainly faced other types of harassment, but certainly not like police state harassment. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, as, as I said, I haven't either, but just you know, the fact that just being bugged, it will stick with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's, you know, not even then, on the same so, level. So make that a daily situation. Yes. Like how how completely intolerable is that? Or, you know, the, the notion, oh, if they had just done what the officer yeah. told, everything would be fine. Yeah, we've seen the videos and the proof of that. That's not true either. That if you just comply, you'll be fine. That's for a lot of people out there. And statistically, more often, people of color, that's inaccurate. And whenever I hear that, like, you know, just you know, just comply, I always think, mm-hmm. too, I watched a, it was a documentary that must have been made by somebody who was sympathetic to, I, I always forget the name, uh, so I'll have to look it up real quick. It must have been sympathetic to... The Weaver family up at Ruby Ridge, because they interview Randy Weaver and his family, his remaining family, and basically Randy Weaver is going, "Well, I didn't do anything wrong, so I wasn't gonna, I wasn't about to go in." Hmm. And people are going, "That's a good point." Like, you know, the, the government didn't have a right to; they were on his property. Mm, they didn't have a right yeah. to bring him in. Yes, they had kind of conducted like. Not entrapment, but they had agents that were, you know, asking to sell. Or they're basically offering to sell or to buy weapons from him for above market value. Yeah. Which I've heard, you know, cops do that to people of all races, mind you. Yeah. Most certainly, uh, definitely in areas of color. But, you know, all these people, and they were talking with like residents that not residents, people that had driven there from out of state to show their support for Randy Weaver. And mm-hmm. just saying, this is the police out of control. Where is that for, say, when, uh, uh, <laughs> this is how bad this is, when you know Eric Garner kept, was being harassed on a daily basis yeah. for selling single cigarettes yeah. that, that, that couldn't be taxed? Yeah. It's like, did he, did he really deserve to, to, you know, to, die, to die for that? Yeah. And you know, I remember thinking at the time, and my, my dad and I, and he, he's not going to like this because he actually listens to the podcast, but. I disagreed with him on that because he was saying, well, you know, if you're coming, you know, if they say you're coming in, you're coming in. Well, how hard would it have been? Cause he was just kind of sitting there complaining as to why the hell are you harassing me again? Yeah. He wasn't threatening anybody. He was just wasting their time and yeah. he wasn't op- complying with their demands. He wasn't obeying their authority. And so they had to make sure that they demonstrated that they had authority over him. Right. And like, no, I, they could have sat there and 
at least I, I think they should have sat there and talked with him. Or maybe said, okay, well, could you please come to this court date at this time? Yeah. I mean, what... <laughs> yes, I get what he was doing was technically against the law, but, mm-hmm. you know... Right, <laughs> and but why was... I, I mean, I don't know, I'm being... I don't know, I guess... Uh, just like throwing out more questions towards the situation. Like, why wasn't the question, Hey, Mr. Garner, why are you doing this? Like, what can we do if they were really just so bothered by a man selling single cigarettes like that? Did anybody ask him why he was doing it in the first place? Nope. But no, I I guess uh, this is where, I would say it's unfair to blame the police officers themselves for that because they've yeah. we have tasked them with, in some cases, not only just you know enforcing the law, but yeah, you know raising their own revenue or yeah, you know. well, and and asking them to go into situations that they have no training for. No, and I think that's something that Chris um, Chris Hayes's book does well to point out. You know, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not just some lib pundit attacking the police. He is trying to understand things a little bit better. And, you know, we call the police when there's a disturbance, but we don't know what the disturbance is about or if there's a Mm -hmm. law even being broken. So we're asking police officers who have no training to go in and be psychologists and, uh, you know, like social workers (laughs) when their training gives them almost no capacity to actually deal with that. That's why, you know, like, I think the statistic he quoted was like almost a quarter of all police shooting deaths uh, that the person that died in that situation suffered from a mental illness. We are asking police officers to do things that they should not be asked to do, and they're not equipped or trained or um, just prepared in any way to handle certain situations that we demand that they step in for. Mm hmm. And I also think that, in, you know, it's been my experience speaking with a couple different departments, or at least officers from a couple different departments, I should say that. Uh-huh. Not like I've you know, been conducting journalist investigations. It's just this is like interactions with police departments where they'll, t- they'll openly talk about how they're glad that they're not a rookie anymore so, so they don't have to patrol the worst parts of town. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. Like, oh, that's probably not the best way to do it. Way to you, do it. you want kind of your more uh, you know, seasoned, at least I would, I believe, I'm not a law enforcement expert, obviously. But yeah. you think you'd want people that have a little more experience. And so they kind of, um, like that uh, officer that was showing haze to that simulator, you know, kind of seemed to like have, a, you know, have more of a feel. And like, you know, this is what you probably should have done here and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's got more of a you know, temperament and kind of knows what to expect. An experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was thinking about this, too, when you know, Hayes was talking about the you know, simulator he was going through. It, it's only human that if a lot of your training is that you never know who the hell is going to shoot you. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go into unknown situations going, I could die at any second. And that's got to yeah. be insanely terrifying and i i don't begrudge anybody for that but mm-hmm. it, yeah as you mm-hmm. said it's 
it would be easier if I, I know a lot of times uh, when the police are going around to the homeless encampments up here, they're taking a social worker with them mm. because yes, the police are being asked often to clear these camps, but yeah. they don't really know what to do with the people they're telling to leave. And they also, right. uh, you know, <laughs> so when someone asks them, can you help me? They're like, I'm not sure. I don't know how to, like, I don't have mm-hmm. the support so, or the resources. Yeah. So yeah. maybe we just need to find a way. Now that just sounds simplistic. But you know, I guess perhaps it would be easier if, you know, say more police departments also partnered with, you know, uh, I can't remember what <laughs> government entity social workers tend to go with. <laughs> oh, I don't know the answer to that either. Like but health and human that, services kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's something that generally is meant to facilitate a different type of outcome than usually what the police are uh, expected to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think, and that's another part where during, uh, oh, and I also want to bring this up before I forget. Sure. So in case anybody listening to this goes, hey, I've seen this Noel guy make an off-color race joke. They're they're correct. Um, mm-hmm. I used to think that it was funny, and it's almost like you know, in a sardonic kind of way, to make off-color and often not super offensive, but I thought they were clever jokes. Where I thought I was actually making fun of racism and racists by mm-hmm. being sarcastic, until someone said. No, you're not. Like, no, what? Mm. Like, you, mm. you, you, that may be your intent, but like when it's the internet, it's you know, print. People, I can't tell the tone. Mm-hmm. People aren't seeing your intent to make fun of it. They're thinking, oh, this guy's agreeing with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I used to think this was funny. Now I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, now I can, I can kind of see... Uh, and when uh, <laughs> this is kind of off topic, kind of not, you said you know you finished Chris Hayes' book today. I listened to Al Franken's book over the past couple of days at work, and I remember years back listening to Al Franken interview Juan Williams on his radio program, and apparently uh-huh. not knowing who Juan Williams was, because <laughs> he asked him, he's like, "You're not a, but you're not a black man, right?" And Juan Williams is like, "What? I am a black man, like." <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> and this was before Dave Chappelle kind of had his thing where he went, oh, gross, and like walked off his own show. Yeah. And Al Franken was asking, why is it that you don't like this show that's so popular? Because he, he kind of had made some waves at the time by saying he tells his kids not to watch it. And he said, the problem is, and I actually remember he used this word, that it's a form of minstrelsy because white viewers watching it aren't realizing that he's making fun of stereotypes. Mm. They watch it and go, this is hilarious because that stereotype's funny. Yeah. And that was kind of what I thought about when I'm like, oh, I I get it, but I'm sad sad it took me so long to get that. Mm. Um, But (laughs) 
So not to... I, okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, so I don't mean to change the topic, but I had that happen in real life one time where I was uh, at work, it was a few months ago, and I was joking around with a coworker, and we were talking about politics, and a customer slash patient walked past us, and right when she walked past us, um, she happened to overhear my coworker say, turn jokingly, like super sarcastic voice and inflection. He said, oh, well, don't you know that climate change isn't real? Like <laughs> he was he was being completely sarcastic. And when he turned back, she turned to him and was like, high five. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's a liberal conspiracy. And he was like, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I would awkward. Have, I would have known what to do. Awkward AF. Well, my coworker, he... You know, he he's a really cool guy. He doesn't work there anymore, but he it's just he's an open person. And he actually had like a really long conversation with this woman. But after um, they spoke, she was like trying to hunt me down like, oh, I need to go talk to that 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 lady, too. And I was like hiding. I like went into a different room and was like, is she gone yet? Is she gone yet? <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to fight with my patient about climate change right now. Like, yeah. Go see the doctor and leave. Thank you. <laughs> you know? I guess um, I should say I do know what I would have done. And it wouldn't have okay. been what your coworker did. I, oh. I would have kept the joke going. Oh. Thinking it was funny. <laughs> because I have a tendency to do this. Uh, <laughs> this speaking of former coworkers, I'm not going to mention either of them by name. But uh, this happened at Borders one time where someone said something. I snapped something back that was extremely sarcastic, but it was kind of it was a tough reference to get. I think. Okay. So one coworker who I said that to walked off, and the uh -huh. other coworker just started giggling, and I was like, "What are you laughing at?" He's uh -huh. like, "Your reference." And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "You realize that probably in about six hours they're going to realize what it is that you said and be very upset with you." <laughs> I was like, "I didn't even think about it." <laughs> <laughs> so it was like that, that would have been my reaction is to like totally play into it and do all like just you know, get super into character of you know you know mocking like oh yeah you're totally right you know the super uh -huh. rich scientists are just trying to make all that science money off of it. <laughs> that's right which would have been completely just not at all constructive and the person <laughs> probably would have figured out what I was doing later I wouldn't have felt bad about making fun of them I guess but no. I would have felt bad that I didn't actually do anything to help. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know if anything can be helped in some situations, but I like the idea. <laughs> True. Yeah. And that's actually an interesting segue because we talked about Rush Limbaugh on our last podcast oh, and him just Rush, Rush, Rush. Being a, a, a turd. Well, <laughs> a massive those... flaming turd. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Al Franken was talking about that in his, in his book where it's he uh, his, his first venture into political writing was a book called Rush Limbaugh's a Big Fat Idiot. Okay. Because he said he, he first heard his show and was like, but the stuff that he says, it's it's lies. Like, it takes two seconds. To, like, you know, this was in the mm -hmm. early 90s. It takes two seconds to look it up and you can go, wait, like – He's quoting something from an interview where if you go like 20 seconds earlier, you can see that he like the I th 
the person already had denounced what Rush was going, why isn't he denouncing that? Like, what? But he just sticks with it. Mm. And so for those of you that uh, aren't familiar with Rush's latest turdness, he had basically called out these hurricanes and you know, <laughs> as being a liberal hoax. No one had anything to worry about. And Limbaugh himself lives in Florida. So when Hurricane Irma started descending on Florida, he very quietly left. But, you know, no, no one else has to worry about it because it's a hoax. It's not going to happen. Right. It's, it's liberal propaganda. So don't you, don't you worry. And, you know, thank goodness it didn't end up being as bad as people thought it was going yeah. to be. But then, uh, is that, is the death toll from that nursing home still going up? I, well, I checked right before we, we jumped on to record and it was still at eight, which is bad enough. Like that's. Okay. I, for some reason I thought I'd read something that had gone up to 10. I was like, oh gosh. Oh, I really hope not. Cause that's pretty despicable. It's awful. I mean, yeah. A state I that mean... should be familiar with hurricanes and storms and somewhat volatile weather mm-hmm. has a. You know, energy grid that can be knocked out and not get back on its feet for a while. Because well, they also have a governor who demanded that any reference to climate change be taken out of government documents, I believe. Yeah, he's, you know, he put on his little baseball cap and got in front of the cameras and was like, you know, evacuate. This is important. But yeah, he's, he's still kind of a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, he's a... I think it was someone, it was a Daily Show correspondent, I believe, that when he had instituted that, this is uh, Governor Scott, that is, not Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you turds can easily get mis- mixed up. Yeah, piles of shit do look yes. very similar. <laughs> I like how we're kind of reversing. I was cursing a lot earlier, and now you, 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 that's your first curse word, I think, of the night. Is it really? Might wow. be. I better step it up. Because you said you know. AF, AF, rather than what did, you know. Actually, is as where I said, you know, that was, I said was... motherfucker to start the podcast off. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> Speaking of which, I've decided that since she listens to this and also offers corrections, yes. I'm gonna. I didn't think of anything tonight, but I'm gonna start like peppering the podcast with like small lies, <laughs> just to keep her on her toes. Okay. You know, um, I gotta say. <laughs> To I have been aware of the fact that your parents listen to our podcast, which I, you know, is great. But I, just as an aside, I keep saying aside and then we change topics. But anyways, <laughs> like, aside, when I told my parents we were doing a podcast, they said, oh, that's awesome. What are you doing? What are you talking about? And I said, history and politics. It, and they both went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> my parents don't want to hear what we have to say. So anyways. Yes, it's I. Knowles, mom and dad, thank you very much, and we love that you are listening. And I'm sorry if we say bad words. <laughs> so this, oh, this isn't necessarily a lie, it, but it could be. It might be, might be a misrepresentation. That okay. My mom would go to jazz shows with me, despite the fact that a lot of it really isn't her cup of tea. Like I remember we mm. went to uh, the biggest big band came and played at uh, whatever the concert hall is over at the Lamont School of Music at DU. Okay. And she not only went with me, she actually, I was a poor college student, 
she actually paid for the tickets and bought oh. me and my roommate Nick at the time dinner. And we got done. Very nice. And so like Very Nick nice. and I are just like because we were both, at the time well, she, at the time we won't we won't weren't music majors. I wasn't, but uh-huh. we were still playing in bands at UNC together. So we're just like, you know almost giddy, just like oh, that was amazing. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? You know, just total <laughs> just nerddom, just going nuts. And I think I was like tr- so excited that I was asking my mom the same questions, and she's she loves music, and you know she can carry a tune and stuff like that, and she can play a little piano, but she's not really a music nerd to the level that I am. And I remember her response being something like, "I know that was really good, I just didn't really enjoy it that much." Mm. She probably didn't say that. I think it was some of the effect of not her thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so that's or my dad that would have me listen to jazz with him in the car because he always wanted to like jazz when he was a kid, but didn't really like it. It wanted to, wanted to like it and wanted me to like it. So okay. they've always been very supportive. Even when I venture into things where they might not necessarily enjoy it as much as myself or have the same level of interest. Or in this case, uh, I use words like motherfucker that probably make my mother's, uh, <laughs> Skin, skin crawl, crawl because she is not a fan <laughs> of profanity. And uh-huh. I know my dad is, he's gotten much better as he's gotten older. I mean, as a kid, I remember he used to curse more, but he curses very little now. So I think he's kind of going, come on, son, stop doing that. So I, I try, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do it less, I swear. I swear, guys, I swear. Um, Just put a quarter in the swear jar. <laughs> but back to the Rick Scott thing, uh, when he first instituted that law that welfare recipients had to undergo mandatory drug testing. Yeah. Even though, essentially, everyone had said this is a waste of money. And he kept saying, well, all state employees have to be subject to mandatory drug testing. And he had said some dumb things around that time. So uh, he was at a press conference, and a Daily Show correspondent somehow managed to crash it. And stands up with a collection, whatever you call it, We'll cup your pee into. Yes. And goes, okay. uh, I'd like to test you right now, please, and sets it down in front of like, the dais. And he just sits there looking around like, uh huh, it's funny, but you can tell he's like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> Who let him in? <laughs> and, yeah. which I guess it shouldn't be a segue to anything else. I do remember a, uh, I don't, she, she doesn't post as much on Facebook, a friend of mine from high school who is very, very nice and, I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think there's a malicious bone in her body, but she was just questioning on Facebook one time that she had seen people say, "Well, testing you know, welfare recipients for drugs is unconstitutional," and she goes, "I don't see why where that's in the Constitution." And I responded saying, "I don't think it's necessarily unconstitutional. It's more of an issue of whether or not it's necessary." Yeah. And she didn't disagree to her credit, but mm-hmm. in, <laughs> I see that a lot too, where people on both sides of whatever argument will offer up a, well, what about this? Like, that wasn't the argument I was making, and that's a ridiculous argument, but... Mm-hmm. I don't that wasn't what it. I was talking about, but okay, thanks. <laughs> Which, in a way, kind of leads me back to what we were talking about before with police, where I feel like... Um, so right after... This is kind of in the midst of Michael Brown, Eric Garner, when, like, when all this just seemed to be happening, like... It seems like now it's a little more spread out, but it seemed like for a while there was like 
it was like a torrential downpour with like a, within a few months, just shit kept happening. I'm sure it's yeah. still happening now, but maybe we're just more uh, at least myself, unfortunately numb to it. I hope not. Maybe but, not numb, but also dis- distracted by other things. Could like be. it's not it's not at the top of the feed anymore, which uh, is sad. It is. Um, where I posted on you know the most constructive place to post anything which is facebook because i do have a few friends that are law enforcement officers and just kind of saying hey i'm not trying to be judgmental what's going on Hmm. and got zero response but you know i do see them post things that are kind of the this person said something awful about basically said the law enforcement officers deserve to die it's like wait don't don't go for the worst of what mm-hmm. people have to say or mm-hmm. then show, you know, this one officer gave his life while helping somebody. Yes, post the best. Like, that's true. Like, I, I believe in that. Like, mm-hmm. bring attention to the great things that officers do on a daily basis. That should be done more often. Mm-hmm. But let's not sit here and you like, because we want to you – know, <laughs> I've done this before myself where I had posted something where – I had noticed that a couple of days in a row on my drive into work, there was a police officer texting and having a hard time staying in his lane. I was like, oh, this is cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a law enforcement friend said, you shouldn't judge all cops based on that one guy. I'm like, I wasn't. I was just saying that <laughs> you know, this is annoying and this should stop. And, you know, why aren't – because it feels like we're all asking our respective groups – to police ourselves, no pun intended, rather than going, you know, <laughs> rather than just going, yes, I see that's an issue. It's like, well, why aren't you taking care of that? Because, you know, we shouldn't have to take care of our guy if you're not taking care of yours. Like, huh? Hmm. <laughs> like, you know, the yeah. whole thing of, as we talked about in the first podcast, where are you saying that uh, you're, you're totally cool with, you know, Antifa, Antifa or cause, uh, whatever, because... You know, there's white supremacists, but you're, you're, you're only saying bad things about white supremacists. I'm not cool with any violence, to be honest with you. But <laughs> we, we have it in this conversation, and you know, I guess it's just boils down to the plague of whataboutism that hmm. it seems like all political discourse is trying to boil down to. Where yeah. rather than just having a constructive conversation, it's well, what about this that happened? What? Huh? Right. It's, it's listening to respond as opposed to listening to listen. Like that's becoming like more of a common adage that it's, it's just about just hammering back instead of actually listening to the other person in the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, (sighs) yeah, just arguing for the sake of arguing because you have to win, even though, the mm-hmm. point of debate is actually to be constructive, constructive and to learn something. Yeah. And the our our conversations about the police state, police brutality, and also police's very, very difficult responsibility in our society makes me think of um, a couple of episodes of This American Life. They came out in early 2015, so they're they're almost two years old now. But this two-parter episodes, uh, it's called Cops See It Differently, and they break down different stories that show 
you know, um, departments or particular groups that do things that definitely go awry, that exert arbitrary power over local constituencies and the very, very bad and deadly side effects that can happen. But they also go through how difficult a job it is to be a police officer and how one of the one of the things that stands out the most is uh, part of, I think, the second episode, they go through and discuss uh, bias training that a lot of police departments are now taking on, which is great. That, that truly is great. Like there's a lot of police departments and police officers out there who do see, you know what, there might be a problem here. This looks bad. And if I weren't a cop, I might think this looks bad. So let's try and resolve some of these issues. And one of the things that they found is that kind of in contradiction to police always, <laughs> I mean, it seems like that, especially now with the proliferation of uh, cell phone video footage, that officers tend to kill black people more often. A study did uh, some bias training research and found that if you're a police officer that has done any type of training, you are still more uh, I'm sorry, you are still less likely to shoot anybody, even a person of color, than a rando citizen like you or I. So it, what that speaks to is an inherent bias that goes well beyond um, police organizations, and it is endemic throughout our entire society, that we are holding police to a different higher, or, I'm sorry, a higher standard, as we should, because of all the authority that they bring on, but it's not just police that do that. I think that's kind of the point. Yeah. Is that it's it's not just them. So being brutally harsh or judgmental of all police officers, just like your friend was getting defensive about, is wrong. <laughs> because it's not, this problem is not just exclusive to the police authority or the police state. It's It's everywhere. Yes, it's, I think that's where, and I think they have some right to feel defensive about it, but uh, I guess that was where I was trying to go when I posted that, which is, hey, like, we realize it, it, it's, it kind of feels like the police are stuck in between, you know, basically the system that is designed to perpetuate a police state and everyone else. Yeah. And so while they may feel that they're under siege by Black Lives Matter or you know people like you and me who support Black Lives Matter, that's not our intent. Like I don't <laughs> I take issue with people who say things like all police officers are pigs or all police officers are shit because that's that would be stupid to say of any group. But mm -hmm. in particular mm -hmm. a group where they're Again, I'm not trying to equivocate my own experience to anybody else's, but my overall experience with police officers has been a positive one. Mm. Uh, I've been pulled over twice and not received a ticket, which mm. both times I – well, one time I didn't. The cop was mistaken, and he – he later said that because I was polite, he let me off without a ticket, which mm. someone that was later telling me that was kind of shitty, but I was like, I don't know, whatever. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere, so. And the other time, 
I totally deserved it. I was following too close. And as soon as the lights came on behind me, I was like, yep. And officer pulled me over. Do you know why he pulled you over? Yep, because I was tailing that car in front of me. Well, why are you doing that? Well, he's going 30 and a 45, and I'm kind of, you know, it's late. I'm trying to get home. And, <laughs> you know, he mm-hmm. looked, looked at my record and saw it was clean. It was like, well, you were honest and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, so, yeah, I just, <laughs> I feel, I, I guess this is, I want to make sure that I can get this on the podcast where I'm not trying to be anti-law enforcement. I'm not trying to say that their jobs aren't hard or that I know better than they do. It's more of a thing where I feel like if we don't have this conversation, we're not, as a society, not just you and I, but as a society, Mm -hmm. if we don't have this conversation, A, we're not going to actually address, you know, racial equality, and we're not going to really find a way to alleviate the pressure that is on law enforcement. And I feel that there are too many of them that are just way too afraid. I don't know why that is, but I'm certainly open to finding ways to make their jobs easier. Mm. But I, I don't want, you know, if, if any law enforcement people listen to this, I don't want you to feel that I'm against you patently because that's what you're doing. Um, I just feel like, we are too over-reliant in many ways as in, in back to Hayes's book where there are swaths of society that are generally more safe that don't feel safe and like our feelings don't match up with the actual data. Mm-hmm. It's all about our. <laughs> yeah. Well, it state. is. I mean, well, and it is, we talked about that previously too. Like, Elections are reactionary and based on emotion, not actually about policy and rhetoric. It's not about data. It is about feeling. And I don't I don't know why it can't be a conversation about both. I you know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. the like these are these are problems that feed off of each other. So we should have a conversation about both. But in a constructive way, not a defensive way. I think it goes back to, not goes back to, but I think a big part of it is what you alluded to, or not alluded to, but you said earlier, where we go into debates. First of all, I think everyone, especially online, they want to size up their opponent, or if it is an opponent, like, does this person side with me on this? Is this a liberal? Is this a conservative? Do they agree with me? Do they not? If not, I'm going to pull out everything I have in my arsenal that, you know, debunks every liberal argument I've seen, every conservative ar- argument I've seen, I'm going to lump them together and false equivalence this, false equivalence that, as opposed to, you know, actually going, I want to hear what this person has to say. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to take you down. Like, no, <laughs> that's the whole point of having conversation, especially with people you right. don't know, is they don't, hopefully they don't have the same experience as you. And that's, um, oddly enough, I didn't intend this to happen. Ties into a book by Juan Williams that I read years ago. It must have been like six years ago now. Where he's talking about... Um, I think... I'll, I'll look it up, but I believe the title of the book is Muzzled. And this was kind of a book that came out in response to him trying to... 
He was on the O'Reilly Factor. And he was trying to kind of get O'Reilly to see why saying something so stupid as, you know, I'm afraid when I see someone who's possibly a Muslim on an airplane next to me. Mm. And Williams, he comes across as being, I guess... I think people thought he was too... What's the word I'm looking for? Basically, he didn't call O'Reilly out because what he was trying to do was get O'Reilly to listen to him by sort of agreeing with him, but then taking him on, of, like showing him the error of his ways and mm-hmm. saying, well, if you think that, then you, you know, do you think this? Mm-hmm. But at the time, the I believe it was a... Um, I can't remember the person's name. Whoever was running NPR fired Williams, who was an occasional contributor on NPR, just mm. up and fired him. And, of course, Fox News loved this because this just showed that a black Republican on Fox News, on Fox News' most popular show, on actually cable news' most popular show, mm-hmm. got fired for saying something you know, fairly innocuous. Like, it was just kind of like, eh. And, which, I don't think it was as innocuous as people think, but they did look kind of dumb for firing him. And so he wrote this book where he's talking about how we all look for ways to silence each other first rather than actually having a debate. And he's saying how the internet has allowed that to happen where rather than, you know, going to a couple of different sites where when we comment, we have to, or we're confronted with people who disagree with us. We can now choose to go not only to big sites where it's almost everyone's in the same boat, but you can go to smaller sites where you can have some sort of weird idealistic streak that maybe like 5,000 people in the world have. You can all find each other on the internet and just sit there and agree with each other all day long. Right. And... You know, that's where <laughs> I guess the internet is should be, a, again, like we talked about this on another podcast, should be a safe haven, not safe haven, should be a great place to exchange ideas, to learn things. But instead, it's just, it's been a device that made th- makes things more divisive. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I kind of went off on a weird tangent there. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to mention this because what did you think? You listened to the audiobook of Chris Hayes, right? You didn't actually read the book? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did you think of his desire, I suppose, to impersonate the people who he's quoting <laughs> rather than just read the text? Okay. So, literally, you started the question what did you think of? And my brain finished with his Nixon impression. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I thought his Nixon impression was pretty good. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess it um, adds an uh, extra element of uh, entertainment to it. I don't know. What are What are your thoughts on it? Since you brought up the question directly. In the past, <laughs> I've generally looked down upon it because 
one of my first experiences in audiobooks was listening to a recording of the late David Halberstrom's The Best and the Brightest. And whoever the hell was reading this audiobook recording mm-hmm. took it upon themselves to do impressions of every person that he read the quote from. So you okay. got a Kennedy, you got a Johnson. But the worst was when he was reading a quote from, and I know I'm pronouncing this wrong because I, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, from Vietnam's, uh, sorry, South Vietnam, I guess, President Z or Z or I've heard. Uh, it's, I should I should know how, but I don't know how to say that. Yeah, I've I've heard it a bunch of different ways. <sighs> right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and he does this. Maybe if I'd heard, which I don't know if it's on YouTube, but speaking of internet laziness, I've bothered to check if there's a recording of G Z talking. Maybe it does. It's correct. But it just sounds like a white guy doing a bad, like, impersonation of a stereotypical Asian. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. oh, why did you do that? But, like Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's yes, or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that over the top? You're kind of like, I, I get that he's Vietnamese. I don't need you to add your own thoughts on, or I guess, treatise of a South... Uh, east asian accent like just uh-huh. just read it like I, I don't this isn't adding anything to it however i would say because at first the haze especially when he in the big be- i think it's towards the beginning of the book when he is quoting someone he's talking to who's a who is the man like it's a baltimore resident i believe but it's it's a black man he, he like why are, chris why are you doing this like you kind of sound like you're doing uh Again, just a bad, stereotypical black person voice. Right. But he does it with everyone, so it almost comes across as endearing. Especially because I think he probably realizes that apart from Nixon, most of his impressions aren't very spot on. (laughs) No, I I would agree with that. They're pretty, like, stereotypically based. And, you know, some of them it just sounds like... uh... Michael Scott from The Office exactly. trying to do like <laughs> Chris Rock jokes or something. Yes, yes. You know? It does have a, a little hint of that, and um, I mean it's it's marginally entertaining, but I would agree with you that it's generally unnecessary. Because like how many how many uh, you know like documentaries you know produced by Ken Burns or about like Nazi Germany or something like they don't try to do an no. impression necessarily is just someone who can read the words well and effectively. So yeah, it probably could have been left out. Well, and they may get, it's usually a you know, famous actor or at least a famous, a voice you'll recognize. They right. do get like, they may get a famous black voice to read a letter or, or a quote by a black person. Right. But they're even the black person isn't trying to add any sort of affectation it makes it sound different than their own voice already sounds. Like I always think back to, uh, oh, I'm, I'm so bad. I can't remember his name, but um, he's done narration in Ken Burns documentaries before. But have you seen that episode of Community where they have? Uh, oh, man, this is how bad. Man, I'm super tired. Uh, <laughs> it's where they have the civil war between the blanket and the pillow fort. I never watched Community, but okay, continue. which uh, 
You should. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's it's on. <laughs> again, we, we're not sponsored by anybody, but uh, if you want to uh, hit us up, <laughs> please do. That would be super cool. We have a feedback email now. It's I. It's feedback <laughs> at thestrangetaunt.com. But anyways, so this guy who's a very famous he he's a famous actor, but he's more famous for his voice, is doing this goofy kind of like Ken Burns style recounting of what's happening in front of you for a you know, okay. sitcom. So it's pretty funny. But yeah. anyways, what made me think about... I was going to ask you about the Chris Hayes things no matter what, as far as him reading in other pe- people's... I guess impersonations as the people. But in Al Franken's book, he does the same thing, except that his impersonations are almost always spot on. His oh, Chuck really? Grassley huh. is hilarious. <laughs> and he doesn't do imp- – he talks about this in the book. If he doesn't feel he has a good grasp on someone's – like an impersonation, he just doesn't do it. So he doesn't do a, a few of his Republican colleagues. He does a good McConnell. His Grassley, though, is still just over the top. He – while he does make fun of Ted Cruz a lot, he doesn't do really a Ted Cruz. Okay. And I know he's gone to talk shows, but just listen to it. I've heard it before, but the whole thing of uh, – he says, you know, I like Ted Cruz most of my colleagues, more than most of my colleagues, and I hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> it still made me chuckle. He called Ted Cruz the Dwight Schrute of the Senate. <laughs> no, no, no. He's the Toby. <laughs> no, because Toby's trying. He's oh, not, okay. <laughs> he's not trying to be a dick, as Dwight where Truth Dwight is, is just like just completely. Yes. <laughs> Let's say Dwight pre. I I feel like peak Dwight is maybe season three as far as him being the most obnoxious. Yeah. Apart from when yeah. he like takes over briefly as the interim office manager <laughs> and you know, shoots the floor or whatever. But I feel like peak Dwight when he was at his most maniacal and also removed from reality was yeah. somewhere in the first. Maybe three or four seasons. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> and Franken also talks about how at one point they were. T- it was a, this was the gun control debate after Newtown, and Franken and among and others were citing some study that showed that the assault weapons ban under Clinton had actually reduced gun violence. <laughs> and he t- says that. Cruz, on the floor of the Senate, says, people who say such things are engaged in sophistry. And he, Franken says that he believed that Cruz probably assumed incorrectly that Franken didn't know what that meant. So he kind of asked, (laughs) why do you think that is? And he spouted something about how, like, that study had been debunked. And he Uh went back to his his office and asked one of his staffers who he admits is much more like informed than Franken himself is and it says the same thing and he goes no that's that's been proven incorrect so mm-hmm. he goes back the next time he sees Cruz and says um, well actually and corrects him and rather than Cruz just kind of going like even offering up a like oh you misunderstood me he mm-hmm. goes I didn't say that Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so it's just this whole thing of, you know, Ted, he's like, Ted Cruz is very smart, 
but he's also a sociopath. <laughs> Which uh, this he's might be a, habitual a good. Liar. <laughs> uh, this might be a good uh, light point to get close to end on here. Did you uh-huh. see the Ted Cruz news of the week? I did. Yes. Fill, fill our listeners in in case they missed it. So, uh, was, I believe it was fairly late at night earlier in the week. On September 11th. On, that's right. Oh, I, some, <laughs> someone else actually joked about that. Like, this is how Ted Cruz celebrates September 11th. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ted Cruz's Twitter account liked a post by a porn account. And Indeed. The, the, someone noticed it later on, and it was deleted However, the account that had it in their website very, very, very smartly posted that this, this is Ted Cruz's favorite site for porn, or where Ted Cruz <laughs> goes to look at porn. And what I believe one of the uh, adult actresses who was in the clip that was he li- he liked, but the, his the account, account liked, liked, yeah, actually then proceeded to not only take advantage of new not newfound fame but extra fame by you know i linking to it but then also saying that i've never been so grossed out that i'm in the porn industry something like that <laughs> and it was just brilliant and so rather than just kind of deleting it and not saying anything about it ted cruz then said it was a staffing issue which come on uh-huh. man what I mean, there are a few things that are worse as far as like what what's Twitter gonna do with when you bring up staff and porn? Yeah. So it just went nuts with I had an issue with my staff and just <laughs> So it was it was wonderful. Um although then you look at pictures of Ted Cruz who um <laughs> I think Matt Taibbi had a wonderful. I, he, I think he said this wasn't his description, but he, he certainly made it popular. That Ted Cruz looks like a waterlogged mask of Ronald Reagan that someone put together at gunpoint. Okay. He just he's he's not a good looking man. He's and <laughs> I'm guessing too that his uh, diet of mostly salty soup is probably not helping out kind of the his, you know, puffiness of his face. And I'm not Overall trying to, of... <laughs> not trying to shame anybody. Cause if uh, any of you look at a picture of me, obviously I'm not uh, the picture of health, but good God. <laughs> good God. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, it's uh, I don't, <laughs> Oh, after saying not to make generalizations, how in uh-huh. the hell did the people of Texas re- elect that man? Like, he... I don't know. I think I think one of the funniest responses I saw to the the whole Twitter porn thing was, "Oh, well, at least he and I like the same stuff." <laughs> I liked it's what. Like, well, that's that's good. I'm glad I... you feel better about electing him. <laughs> I agreed with what my friend Ben had to say about this, with which was. He should have left it alone because this is the only thing that makes him seem human. <laughs> and instead, he you know, he has to go back and make you go, nope, not human. 
not at not all. Human. Yeah. And not only that, he has to misplay. He, <laughs> for someone that, when he first burst on the scene, was kind of, I guess, falsely attributed to having, or falsely called a, you know, political wunderkind. Uh-huh. He seems to have terrible political instincts. I mean, he <laughs> tried to sidle up against Trump during the primaries. Then when he finally decided to turn on him, looked like a moron. Yeah. And then he has his, you know, moment of principle where he gets booed at the convention. And then he comes into the fold at the time when Trump was at his lowest, so it looked like it was, you know, a fool's errand to back him and starts making phone calls for him. Like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Lion Ted, right? Lion Ted. <laughs> uh, all the, all the well, nicknames. His, <laughs> you know, I would totally be on board with making phone calls for my political rivals, uh, especially one of them at falsely insinuated that my father helped kill John F. Kennedy. Yeah, JFK, yeah. I'm, uh-huh. yeah, that's, yeah I'd be like, yeah, totally it's just sense. politics. It's just politics. It's just politics. It's just white politics. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> from a Canadian who barely, <laughs> from a Cuban family that barely speaks any Spanish. Can... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was one of the best parts of that one primary. Oh, you didn't, sorry, you didn't watch any of them. <laughs> no, so good Rubio... Lord, no, I did not. <laughs> just lays down this kind of sick burn on Ted Cruz and says, you didn't even speak Spanish. And so Ted Cruz then breaks into basically broken Spanish where he's saying nothing. <laughs> and it was like, uh, like I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't know that at the time. But uh-huh. like, you look on the internet and someone's going, that's not really, he's kind of just up there speaking gibberish. Like he's saying some <laughs> words. Spanish-like words. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I see. Oh. Well, I think uh, we're probably running out of steam here. It wasn't, I guess I wasn't as funny with the Ted Cruz thing as I like, but uh, check back in, listeners, and we'll get to, uh, we'll, we'll keep you appraised of all the Ted Cruz porn liking <laughs> news. And also your weekly dose of uh, racism. That's right. <laughs> We do like talking about that. Well, hopefully... Uh, Middle-class white people. I hope that we can get away from that, but I <laughs> doubt it because... Not sure if you saw, but... Someone said that Trump was doubling down on this Charlottesville statement. That's not even true. He's like... He's well past doubling. I don't even know what point he's on right now. <laughs> he's all in. <laughs> can you go all in multiple times? Like... I don't know. Well, sure, he's a billionaire, so... I mean, <laughs> he's gone knows. bankrupt multiple times, so... Yeah, yeah. What the hell's his new thing? Yeah.